the people that had the easiest time were the people defending slavery because they could quote chapter and verse. Whereas the abolitionists see something progressing within how the Bible works. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with the subject. Now, if you're new to the show, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Josh Patterson. Josh is a co-host for the podcast Rethinking Faith. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Going great, dude. Thanks for connecting and saying yes to being on the show. Yeah, most definitely. I'm excited. It's going to be a great conversation. But, you know, before we dive into some of what we're talking about today, can you give our listeners a little bit about how you got introduced to church, to faith? What's some of your spiritual background? Yeah, sure. So I, hmm, I guess I've, I don't have like a super cool story. I started going to church when I was young, um, started out in a Methodist church and, you know, my family got pretty involved there. Uh, and then I guess around the time I was in middle school, uh, my parents discovered the wonders of early 2000s contemporary Christian music. <laughs> and so we ended up uh, piecing out of the uh, the Methodist church and we went to the uh, the Baptist church down the road that had this fancy new music going on, you know. Um, and so we were there. We were there for uh, a while. That's, you know, the youth group I grew up in. I, my youth pastor, Justin, was awesome. Uh, still a good friend of of mine. But uh, we were actually asked to leave that church when my brother Jordan was in seventh grade. He came out to my family uh, as gay, and we were quite literally kicked out of that church. Um, so my family left the Baptist church, or were pushed out, and we went to another church, a non-denominational church, uh, that had a bunch of our friends, a bunch of people you know I was in high school with, things like that. Things were growing great there. Um, but then uh, my family decided that they wanted to become members. And as soon as they did, uh, the pastor said, well, you can become members, but first you have to let our pastor change your son. Uh, they wanted to do like gay conversion therapy uh, for my family to, be, to become members. So my parents left that church. Uh, and then that kind of was like the, the final nail in the coffin uh, for my family. They kind of stayed away from church for a little bit. And I think uh, probably rightly so. They were very much hurt by that. Um, but eventually they started to come back around to the idea of, of you know, hey, let's, let's get back into church. I think probably about a year of, of not attending as much. And uh, I remember sitting down with my mom in her, uh, her office at her work, and she was literally calling churches, like, pick it up the phone. Hey, my son's gay. Can we come? Hey, my son's gay. Can we come? And uh, eventually um, we landed at a church uh, called Crossroads, which was just like a non-denominational community church, and they've been there ever since. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, like how, what church looked like for me growing up. Uh, since then, um, I guess I, I, uh, went to Messiah college, which is now Messiah university. Uh, so that's like a, a Christian liberal arts college. Um, I earned a degree in graphic design and youth ministry. And after that, I took a job with youth for Christ. I worked for them, uh, with them for a while. And then I ended up, uh, moving, Myself and my wife, we went to Florida, um, where I worked in a non-denominational church there, uh, which ended up being not great. And then I uh, quit my job there, took a job at a Methodist church that also was 
not great. <laughs> and so we ended up coming back here to Maryland and I've been serving um, in a, a local church in, in Maryland um, ever since for about two years now. So that's, that's been a good thing. So that's kind of my, my experience. Yeah. Similar to me. It's, uh, it's interesting how all the ex or current church workers start podcasts to, uh, to figure out their faith. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, man. Uh, which is a great segue. I mean, today we're talking about theology. Um, now that term, when you hear it automatically means different things to different people. It's a, it's a, you know, a crazy definition, although it does mean something specific. So Josh, when you hear that word theology, what does that mean for you? How do you define that? Yeah, sure. So I'll just be boring and take it at face value. And I'll just say theology is the, the study of the nature of God um, or, you know, the study in, of nature of, of religious belief. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a boring answer. But I, I do think, though, I'll make a more fun claim, I guess. I think that everybody is a theologian. Um, I think everybody has a concept of God um, or some form of God, even, even my atheist friends. I still like to tell them that they, they believe in a God. It just looks very different than the, the God that I believe in. Um, so I think people tend, we all tend to be chasing this, uh, you know, some people call it the, the sacred object. If only we got this thing, then we would be whole, then we would be complete, then we would be loved. And so um, some people find, can find that um, in, you know, within religion, but then for like my atheist buddies, uh, maybe their God looks a little bit different. Maybe for them, it's, it's money. Uh, or maybe for them, it's, you know, a, a cool car or the best job or whatever. So I think everyone's a theologian. Everybody has some kind of concept or idea about God. And anytime you make a claim about God, you are uh, engaged in theological musings, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which sort of brings to mind, you know, we all get some starter pack, for lack of a better term, of what theology is. For for faith believing individuals, it usually comes from a church. If you don't have that, what really informs that idea of God? Yeah, that's a good question because I think I think to use to use like a, a Christianese kind of word, we're all being discipled by something or someone always. Um, and like some people are more intentional about what that thing is, uh, but I think it can come you know, our concepts can come from, from anything. It comes from our life experience. Um, a lot of people build concepts of, of uh, God based off of their interaction with their parents, their, their childhood upbringing. Um, the culture very much can shape uh, our understanding of God. Um, I guess if you <laughs> like, like to watch cartoons and see all like the silly depictions of God, with, you know, with the beard and the white robes and stuff, you know, maybe you have some kind of God like that. Um, but yeah, even just the, the people in your life, the way, the way you live, your experiences, all of these kind of things shape uh, your idea and understanding of God. Which, you know, growing up in the church, one of the things that I've heard a lot is the importance of sound theology. Um, you know, I think in the late 2000s, uh, you know, 
progressivism and and forward thinking outside the box of conservative mindsets really started to get labeled at least in my experience as dangerous theology what's the difference or, or how do we define what is sound theology and what isn't sound theology hmm yeah so for me the way i would answer that is um i think <laughs> if if theology is hurting somebody or causing harm, then it's probably not very good theology. Um, because I think bad theology hurts people, or, or even, uh, who is it? I think Kevin Garcia likes to say bad theology kills. Um, and I think the reason for that is because, like, the most, the most important aspect of our spiritual growth and development is what we imagine God to be like, because it's going to shape how we act and, and how we behave. Um, and so having a sound theology is important uh, because in theory, it should, you know, change how you act, how you carry yourself. It, it should change the way you be, how you exist in the world. Um, and so if we have bad theology, uh, it can cause harm to people. Like we can have theology that justifies genocide. And people did that, right? We had, we had theology that justified slavery. Uh, we have theology that justifies treating people who are different than us in, in ways that are poor, um, in ways that don't recognize the image of God in them. Uh, we have theologies that, uh, you know, justify destroying the earth, <laughs> right? The, the very thing that, that we're, we're supposed to, uh, to protect and, and live in. We, um, yeah. And, and I think, too, bad theology can be very traumatizing. Um, there's a lot of, of buzz right now, I guess, around um, you know, spiritual abuse, spiritual trauma uh, from various forms of theology that can have very real effects on our day-to-day -day life. Uh, my buddy Dan Koch over at You Have Permission um, is currently in a doctoral program to get his um, a PhD in psychology, and he's doing a whole bunch of research on end times theology, eschatology stuff. Um, and the effects that it has had on people um, emotionally, psychologically, uh, and it's really crazy. So this stuff actually matters because it affects people. Um, and when anytime people are involved, uh, I think that's an important thing to pay attention to. And so I guess to wrap all of that up nicely, I would just say if, if your theology, as, so as a Christian, I would say if my theology doesn't look like Jesus, then it's probably bad theology. And in your personal experience as you shared you know like certain theology affected not only your family but whether or not you could attend a church um you know how do we get to such vast and differing opinions when reading like the same text because you can read something and then I'll read something and we could come up with totally different conclusions but it's the same content so how does how, how does all of that then start to snowball into how we're treating each other? Yeah, that's good. And I think, I think that's part where our, um, our experience comes into play. Uh, because that, like, when we, when we come to a text, any text, um, you know, but specifically let's talk about the Bible. When we come to the Bible, we're bringing ourself uh, to the Bible. We all, all of us have biases. All of us have lenses. And so that's not something to be afraid of. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize where our biases are. That way we can see how we're reading those things into the text. And so 
that I think that's a huge reason why people get different understandings, different interpretations, um, you know, while reading and engaging in in the same thing. And then once once we kind of get our own, you know, thought or understanding or idea of what we think is going on, a lot of the times we want to guard and protect that. And so then we just, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we're right <laughs> for a, a variety of reasons, which I think then is how that snowball starts to form um, is we, we become blind to our biases and we become shut off to ideas that are different than ours um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of them could be very good reasons. Um, yeah, but then that just, it, it, it can get out of hand and then very quickly we're throwing rocks at each other. Um, instead of, you know, trying to find common ground or something. Yeah, and, and just to piggyback on that thought, what you're mentioning is sort of the defensive, like, okay, that's not what I believe, and therefore I'm going to close myself off to anything different. What happens when it's more offensive, when it's like, no, I have to fight this, and I have to go after this, and this is wrong? Hmm. So are you talking more like, like, like culture war kind of stuff like you know we have we have to have this theology so we can tear down something in the community we see that we disagree with yeah let's let's start there and maybe it'll go somewhere else but yeah specifically that because i think a lot of that is being shown not only in our politics but it also plays into our religion mm, sure yeah so i think um tearing stuff down i think that comes from the way that we hold our theological beliefs um, there, be, there's, so there's two primary ways that people can engage, uh, with theology. Uh, there's a, there's a bounded set approach and there's a centered set approach, uh, within the bounded set. There's basically here, here are the walls that you have to stay within. Here's the box. Anything inside of this box is okay. But if you go outside the box, you're not, you know, you're, you're in dangerous territory or whatever. And then there's a centered set approach, which, uh, instead of having a fence or a wall, it centers itself in something on, or in our cases as Christians, um, on somebody, uh, for me, it's Jesus, the person of Jesus. And then theology stems out from that. So do you see how that, that's like a kind of a different approach. And so I think a lot of the times when we have this, this box, this bounded set approach to theology, um, we feel the need to protect that. Because we're told anything outside of this box is wrong, um, or maybe it's evil, or it's somehow, you know, an offense to God. And so I think a lot of people with uh, maybe good intentions, um, they want to protect that box at all costs, because that's what they've been taught to do. And so when they see anybody that's behaving in a way that doesn't look like their box, then that's going to make them upset. They're going to get... Um, uh, emotional and they're going to go on the offensive because they think that's what they have to do. They think somebody is, um, you know, causing harm maybe by the theology they're promoting. Like, oh, you're lying to people. You're, you know, you're causing harm to them or you're telling them something that's not true about God. So perhaps it's stemming more so just from the fact that they want to uh, protect people and help people. Um, you know, if we want to put a, a more positive outlook on it. So now, based off of that mentality of whether or not we have to protect or we have to then educate other people, how does our theology affect our praxeology, affect how we live it out? 
Um, you know, because I think there are some things within Christianity that are like on the personal level, and that's just for a heart issue. But then there's other things that sort of inform how we live. How does theology affect how we live? Yeah, that's really good. That's the uh, like a classic question of <laughs> what's more important, orthodoxy or orthopraxy, what we believe or how we carry it out. Uh, which is a fun debate that I like to have with my friends. And um, I tend to err on the side of orthopraxy, um, but a lot of people can make good arguments for why orthodoxy is more important. Um, but basically, I think this comes down to asking a question like, what does it mean for something to be true? Um, and I know that sounds very like, ah, woo-woo out there, but I think that something that is lived out and enacted is more true um, in a deeper sense than just some kind of ideological claim. So you can have, quote, right theology. You can have all the right beliefs, all of them. You somehow figured it out. You solved the puzzle. You have it. But if you don't do anything with that, if that doesn't you know, impact how you live, then it doesn't matter. It's not helpful um, because it's just these you know, spacey ideological claims, and there's no, there's no ground for them. There's no way that they get expressed or lived out. And so the question is, is what I believe actually true? Um, and if you, you know, apply it to your life and live it out, you see that, uh, you know, good things happen, like love, peace, patience, kindness, uh, the fruits of the spirit, for those of you who, who know that kind of uh, language, um, then maybe that's something that's true. And so I think oftentimes where we've kind of gotten this wrong in the West is that we've, we've taken something that was meant to be transformational and we've made it transactional it's just become these check boxes you know do you believe jesus is son of god yes do you believe you know in the trinity yes check 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 all the right boxes and if you check the right boxes then you're good um but that checking those boxes doesn't actually bring about any kind of transformation and uh jesus never said check the right box he said follow me <laughs> and so uh I think there's something interesting to be said about that as well, um, that our theology should be transforming literally us, how we live. Um, I mean, the goal, ideal uh, for Christianity is, is this idea of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Um, some Christian traditions use the word uh, theosis, you know, becoming more like God. Uh, some people use the word sanctification. Um, uh, there's language about, you know, participating in and with God uh, to bring about, um, you know, salvation in the earth. But also, I think, ultimately, um, the, the thing that, as a Christian, I believe that I am called to do is bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And what that means is, whatever we envision heaven, or I like to use the phrase new creation, uh, to be like, um, then perhaps we should start living if, as if that were the case now. And then what will happen is uh, you will manifest the kingdom of God, and then people will see that, um, and people can become a part of that. And I genuinely believe the, re the reason I'm still a Christian is because I genuinely believe uh, that the teachings of Jesus, when applied to life, make the world a better place. And uh, I think the kingdom of God um, can be brought <laughs> and is being brought uh, if you have eyes to see. So hopefully that, that got at something there. Yeah, totally. And, 
you know, you, you mentioned the Trinity, which my mind sort of went down this rabbit hole, right? Nowhere in Scripture do we see the word Trinity, but we, we gather different pieces of God's nature and God revealing himself throughout the narrative of Scripture, and then we say, okay, there's a, there's a being with three parts that miraculously manifest themselves at different ways and different times and in different fashions. We've made a theology based off of, um, you know, informed reading. What happens when we make theology that is similar to that based off informed reading, but we can't actually say, well, thus saith the Lord in this chapter, thus verse, you know, all of that. What happens when like, we're like, those are hills that we're ready to die on, but there's not really good backing for it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's a good question. Um, and I think this, this is where humility uh, comes into play. Um, I think just being honest and, and holding intellectual humility is, is key. Um, this is why I think sometimes uh, how we hold our beliefs is more important than what we believe uh, all the time. I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think, it, I don't have like a nice way to say it. Because um, like the thing, so the thing with, I guess I'm, I'm thrown off with the Trinity bit, because the thing about the Trinity is you start, I don't, I don't forget who said it, but as soon as you start trying to explain the Trinity, you border on heresy every time, because no one actually knows what the heck is going on with it with that so like that that to me the answer then has to be humility okay we don't know and that's fine like let's let's have a conversation about this and let's see what happens like what what benefit is this thing bringing about like what what happens when a community of people come together and discuss this like what what um kind of emerges from that is this is this something that's that's worth keeping is this helping people is this making the world a better place um, is this bringing about more love? Um, and if it's not doing any of those things and it's just something that you want to be correct about, you just want to be right about, um, then perhaps that's not a hill worth, worth dying on. Um, and I know people are going to, you know, tend to disagree with that um, at times uh, because they think, you know, no, you have to have exactly the, the right and correct beliefs. And then, you know, they'll, they'll die on the hill for it, even though, like you rightly pointed out, it might be informed reading, but there's no, <laughs> thus saith the Lord. Um, I think a perfect example of that is, is slavery. Um, throughout, if you go back in Christian history, uh, the people that had the easiest time were the people defending slavery because they could quote chapter and verse. They could show exactly in the Bible where it said you should have slaves, how to treat them, etc. Whereas the abolitionists, they were the ones trying to make uh, a case for a like a, a not progressive um, reading of scripture. I mean, that's what I mean, progressive reading of scripture, but not progressive in the political sense, as in we see something progressing within how the Bible works um, to where it seems as if we have a better and better understanding of, of who people are. And slavery becomes less and less more palatable based off how the, the Bible progresses over time, if that makes sense. Um, so I think there's, it has to, yeah, I'll just come back to humility. Um, because a lot of the times there isn't just one solid way to look at things. Um, that doesn't mean that everybody's right. Uh, obviously, somebody has to be correct. Uh, but I think, again, that humility is, is where I would go with it.
Yeah, and with that humility approach, and you said, you know, progressive at the time, my mind kind of went to, yes, things have changed over time, especially in how we read the Bible. But some people don't think that. Some people think that theology is a once heard, always applied the same way I've always heard it approach. Uh, do you think that there's a benefit to having that, that you know, quote unquote, solid ground? Or should there be times when we say, no, this has progressed and our understanding has changed? Um, yeah, I guess that that's going to depend on the person. Uh, for me, I wouldn't be able to, to handle that, to, to have a theology that is so set in stone that, um, you know, it, it doesn't line up with my daily experience of how the world actually works or my, my engagement with, with other people. So maybe, um, I mean, there's, there's very few things, you know, you can count it on one hand, uh, the kind of affirmations that someone quote unquote has to make to just be considered Christian. Um, not, not to try to create like an us versus them kind of thing, but just because like, here's this thing called Christian and here's some basic affirmations that distinguish Christians from people who believe other things. And that's fine. And I, I, I would call those things dogma. Um, and I would point to something like the apostles creed is probably the best example. If you affirm the apostles creed, you're a Christian. Um, and that says very little <laughs> about a lot of the things that we argue about today. Um, in fact, it says, not much about any of the stuff we argue about today. And so I think I, yeah, I just, I have a hard time. I understand why somebody would want to say like, this thing is true and it's always going to be true. But then what do you do when the real world, our daily experience doesn't support that anymore? Um, I think that actually limits God. I think that makes God small. Um, oftentimes when we put God in a box, Perhaps we can find God there, but God also transcends the boxes that we put God in. Um, and so I, I personally just, I can't, uh, I can't deal <laughs> with, I can't make, uh, I, I'd have too much cognitive dissonance if uh, my concept of God couldn't keep up with and match uh, the reality of my experience. For sure. And and Josh, as we, I've loved our conversation. I really have. And as we wrap it up, you know, with everything that we've talked about, with everything that we've shared, how does the Big C Church better step into this discussion? Because there's going to be people who land on both sides of our conversation. Some hold very tightly to theology, and it informs their understanding of God. But others are living out day to day, and their experience changes as they see God throughout the world. You know, like, how do we as a church, a unified John 17 church, step into better engaging on this subject? Yeah, sure. Um, if I could, I want to offer a tool that I have found helpful um, that I borrowed from Greg Boyd. Uh, Greg basically um, puts forth this concentric circle model. And again, it, it has to do with this idea of a centered set that we talked about. And so how this centered uh, or how this concentric circle model works for theology is at the very center. So picture like a target logo, right? At the, at the very center is Jesus, the person of Jesus. You can't ditch Jesus and have anything that you can meaningfully call Christianity, right? So we have Jesus at the center. And for me, when I, I, uh, demonstrate this i like to put a red circle around jesus you know red like stop you can't you can't go there and then the next circle out is dogma and again that circle is also red 
Um, it's a it's a uh, a smaller circle, but still, it um, it's all the things that like any Christian anywhere, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, you know, Baptist, Mennonite, whatever, um, can affirm. And that's that's called dogma. That's the things that you know the the few meaningful claims that make someone a Christian, um, and that also is read because oftentimes you know you start challenging dogma. That's when like you get caught a heretic, um, or le- like yeah. Anyway, and then the, the next one out from that is a yellow circle, which means caution, be careful here. Uh, but that's the circle of doctrine. Uh, doctrines are why. We're even having this conversation about theology. Uh, doctrines are why we have so many different denominations. There are people who hold different theological perspectives on the same exact issue, and perhaps it's not the smartest thing for them to be in the same exact church together, but just because you disagree doctrinally with somebody doesn't mean you can kick them out of the faith, that they are somehow not a Christian. So, so many, so many things you know, fall into this category of doctrine. Most, most uh, issues do. And then finally, the circle outside of that, uh, I, I make it green, um, and it's opinion. And that's just, yeah, do we have pews or do we have chairs? I don't know. I don't care. Like, that's an opinion question. So most of the time with this, this issue of theology, I think if the church can come together and center itself and recognize that what unites us is the fact that Jesus is Lord, that's the center of our theology. And I think if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then we can center our faith and our beliefs on Jesus. And then if we have some disagreements, we have to just learn to be okay with that because Jesus is the the center. That's what unites us. And so when it comes to these doctrinal issues, then these theological issues, I'm not saying that we should just be loosey-goosey, you know, play fast and loose with the text or whatever, and just come up with whatever we want. I think um, we should take it very seriously. Um, I mean, you see all this stupid bookshelf behind me with all these nerd books on it. Like, I love theology. <laughs> and, and there's stuff from people from all over the spectrum uh, on here. And so I think we should, uh, we should pray about these kind of things. We should be in community with one another and have the kind of conversations like you and I are having today. Um, I think you should be informed by, by scripture. Um, and, you know, research, read up what people have said, see what they think, um, and then just have a, a, a side of humility um, and seek a way to, to move forward within that. And so I think if we're able to do that, that'll help us um, stop being so afraid all the time, right? Because a lot of the times, the reason we have these theological uh, disagreements or arguments just comes from fear. We're afraid. Um, we're afraid that, you know, maybe we've, uh, spent 20 some years of our life defending this one position. And then we found out like, "Mm, wait a minute, maybe this isn't quite right. And so that's scary. Or if you've grown up being told that uh, if you don't have all your beliefs correct, then you're going to burn in hell forever. um, That's terrifying. (laughs) And you're going to want to hold on to those beliefs as strong as you can, because no one wants to burn in hell forever. So I think once, if we can embrace this centered set approach, um, it'll help us stop being so afraid. Um, I think if the church can uh, be open and honest about doubts and questioning, um, I think that would be huge. You know, as a pastor, I think one of the the greatest answers a pastor can give their congregation is, I don't know. <laughs> um, or just be honest, you know, when 
if they're preaching a sermon or, or talking about something, just be honest where they struggle with something like this or where they're having doubts um, or where they're asking questions. Or even I think something really simple and easy a pastor could do is if they're being intellectually honest on a Sunday morning when they get up and preach, they can see, they can say, instead of saying the Bible says X, they can say, my interpretation of scripture leads me to believe X. And so that, that has humility built into it. Um, and then I think also just being willing to engage with people who are different than you, who think differently than you, um, remembering that all theology has an adjective in front of it. Um, which again, I, we talked about that. That's like experience and things like that. So um, there's not just one thing called theology. We all are bringing something to it. Uh, so there's white theology, there's black theology, there's liberation theology, there's feminist theology, there's dispensationalist theology. So there's all these different kinds of theology and just being honest about that. Um, and then finally, I think this will sound um, arrogant and I don't mean it this way, uh, but just kind of, figure out and know what you're talking about, especially if you're going to be a pastor, be teaching somebody. Um, I've, I've encountered too many experiences, um, too many times trying to engage and have an honest conversation around this kind of thing where the person involved doesn't actually know what they're talking about. They're just repeating uh, rhetoric that they've been taught to say. And so I would just encourage people to, to take their faith seriously and uh, get out and, and, and learn some stuff and uh, try to build a faith um, for yourself that you know and you understand. Uh, I think that would be helpful. Those are excellent thoughts, dude. Thank you. And, and thanks for giving us your time and sharing with us on this episode. Uh, where can people connect with you? Tell us a little bit about your podcast and how people can find you online. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Um, as far as our podcast go, it's called Rethinking Faith. Uh, you can find it basically on any any platform uh, out there, Spotify, you know, um, Podbean, Apple Play, whatever, or Google Play, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're all called. They're they're there. If you if you search Rethinking Faith, you'll find us. Uh, we have an Instagram feed at uh, Rethinking Faith. Uh, you can find us and follow us there. Um, we're really bad at the whole Facebook game, so we don't really do that. <laughs> um, it's hard enough to remember to post the Instagram, so you can find us there. Um, yeah, and then like if you have any questions or want to get in contact, you can email us at rethinkingfaithpod at gmail.com. Again, that's rethinkingfaithpod at gmail.com. And so we're pretty responsive. Uh, we also respond frequently to DMs on Instagram. So if you want to connect and talk to us there, then um, we'll be there. But yeah, our, our, I guess to answer your question, uh, rethinking faith, what is it? Uh, we basically are just... Um, trying to live out the kind of things that we talked about today. Uh, we encourage Christians from various walks of life and background to come and hang out with us um, and discuss different aspects of their faith from different perspectives, uh, kind of with this idea that we are constantly um, being called to, to have one of faith that is thinking that's honest, um, that makes sense of, you know, our, our pluralistic world, our expanding universe, um, all this kind of stuff does it in a way that is that is honest and and fair and um promotes unity actually it sounds very much like what you're trying to do here with dismantle so we're on the same team it is nice knowing that you got a teammate and i appreciate that but dude we will throw all that in the show notes again thank you so much for being on the show yeah man thank you so much for having me i i, I enjoyed it 
And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. Bye.